Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Ara Ogurian. Ara, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am, George. Excellent. Let's do this. Ara is the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management, a fee-only wealth management and full-tax services firm in Los Angeles. They specialize in working with folks in the healthcare industry. I'm excited to have you on. Ara, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Okay. Well, first off, George, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's great to talk to your to your guests uh, and your listeners. Uh, a little bit about me personally. I am originally from Los Angeles. Uh, I grew up here. I um, went to school up in San Francisco, moved up there uh, to, uh, for swimming. I was a swimmer in college. And uh, after college, I started actually during college, I started working for the Federal Reserve Bank. That's where I started my career in finance, Uh, did some trips around the the country and the world uh, through work, finally came back to L.A. to start my uh, my practice. And then, um, you know, I've been doing this ever since 2009 on my own in Los Angeles. Uh, Personally, I'm I'm married. I got two boys, 10 and 12. they are actively involved in sports and other types of uh, things locally. We're very active in our uh, community through nonprofit organizations, uh, and I'm also on the board of a. Um, uh, I'm also on the board of a of a local bank. Uh, it's a publicly traded bank. We're a small business lender called Mission Valley Bank. Are your boys involved in swimming? Are they a chip off the old block? They they started doing a little bit of swimming early on, and uh, they didn't quite catch on. I was never in love with swimming. I only did it because it was a way for me to uh, get into college and do the things I wanted to do. But um, my passion is tennis. I love to play tennis. I started off when I was much older, and uh, now with aches and pains, I try to get on the court as much as I can. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot more taxing on your body than swimming is. Yeah, in fact, it might be the opposite of swimming. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a tennis player as well, so I, I appreciate that. And it's a, a sport that you'll be able to do for the rest of your life. So, That's the hope. That's the hope, yeah. Otherwise, I'll have to resort back to swimming. Yes, back into the pool. So, Yes. Well, odds are, I, I imagine some of your clients will probably be able to help you make sure that, that your health stays up. Why is it that, that you like to focus your practice on health care? So that's a great question. When I moved back to to LA again in 2009, uh, I had just just started my practice. I had no clients. I was working for another wealth management firm, essentially exact same business model that that I have at ACAP Asset Management, but in Washington D.C. area. And uh, it was it was a little bit accidental, a little bit uh, intentional. So what happened is. A lot of my family members, a lot of my friends are in healthcare, they're physicians, and obviously they were my natural market when I wanted to to start my business and reach out to a a specific group of people to to market myself to. And then when I realized that uh, I became to become an expert in that area because I knew if someone was at Kaiser, I got to know their, their benefits package really, really well, and I still know it very well. If someone was at USC or someone was at UCLA or any other academic institution, I, I began to really understand their benefits package. I knew what they had to do early on in their career, early on in their employment at those organizations to make the best of 
their their financial situation and their benefits packages there. So what I ended up doing was uh, focusing my niche entirely on the healthcare market uh, because of that, because I was starting to become more familiar with it. But also as I was reading books about how to market yourself, uh, almost every the reoccurring thing I kept hearing was create a niche because it adds more value to your clients. And I can tell you that having that niche in healthcare adds a tremendous amount of value for my clients because that learning curve is no longer as steep as it would be if I were to get a new client right now that may be um, completely out of my, my, my wheelhouse. And, I'll have, and it will be uh, much longer for me to learn what they do and what their benefits package is and understand how I can add value to them. Well, that definitely makes sense. So are there unique needs, challenges to doctors and nurses? I would say early on, because many of our clients are young, it's student loans. Uh, Unfortunately, student loans uh, take up a tremendous amount of the disposable assets or disposable money for young physicians or young healthcare workers. Many of our clients have uh, student loan debt over two hundred thousand dollars. So that's the that's the primary thing that really keeps them up at night. And what we try to do is help them catalog that debt, find a strategy to help it pay it down, or find a strategy to help them refinance it, do something where they're able to sleep better at night, knowing that that student loan debt there's a there's a plan in place to tackle that student loan debt. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's I think a, a challenge that a lot of young people are facing today, more so than ever before. Just with everything that we know that's going on with with student loans and, and, and all that stuff. So I definitely appreciate that. What do you find is is difficult for some of your clients to do that, if it were possible, would have a big impact? Oh, oh absolutely. When it comes to investing, uh, and we were only focused on the investing part because, as I mentioned earlier, I, I also am a CPA and we do taxes for our clients too. Only on the investment part, let's say the, the, um, the lack of it or – the inability to diversify. For example, um, it is very hard. Financial theory says that when you have a portfolio that is doing well in one area and is doing poorly in another area, you sell off a part of what's doing well in the good area and then buy the stuff that's doing uh, poorly. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but years and years of research has shown that when you do that, you rebalance your portfolio and you reduce the risk without sacrificing returns. Unfortunately, what happens is people don't tend to do that because they're reluctant to sell assets that have gone up. So as a result, they get overexposed to certain sectors or certain stocks. And then when that stock or that sector reverses, they end up losing a lot of money. And then they get really frustrated because they they lost a lot of money um, when the, when the market was, was going down and I'll give you a good example. I have nothing against Apple stock. I think Apple is, is a good company, but Apple has done extremely well in the past few years and people who own Apple now it represents a big part of their portfolio and they're reluctant to diversify out of it. But it's really important to diversify out of these types of stocks because we've seen time and time again, venerable companies that have been around for over a hundred years for whatever reason, may go bankrupt. So it's important to diversify out of your portfolios and make sure that you have a balanced portfolio and to look at it on a regular basis so that way you're not overly exposed to any one particular stock or any one particular sector. That's one of those things, I 100% agree with you. That's one of those things that 
sounds easy and does hard for people because our brains just stand directly in the way of it. And that's true of if it's cryptocurrency or if it's gold or if it's Amazon stock. Um, I've always heard, and I, I think it's it's a stereotype, that physicians are are sometimes more excited about investing in riskier things. Have you found that to be true? No, I think that's a very general stereotype that does not apply because uh, you're you're going to have we have clients who are young. They should be taking a lot more risk, but for whatever reason, they are reluctant to take a lot of risk. So we have their portfolio slightly more conservative than they would be for someone at their age. So I wouldn't say physicians overall are more risk takers. Uh, I think it varies person by person. I will say that I have not met two individuals, two couples that have had the same risk profile. So you might have a husband and wife or two partners and they are completely on the opposite end of the risk spectrum. So as a result, we have to adjust the portfolio accordingly to, to match what both of their needs are. Got it. Yeah, I certainly appreciate that. And I always hate to use stereotypes, but sometimes you just have to ask the question. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's not, and I, I thought you were going to go a different direction because sometimes people tell me, well, aren't, aren't physicians bad investors? And I would mm-hmm. say absolutely not. They're, they're really good investors. And, and they're fully capable of doing what we provide for them. It's just that you know, most of our – not most. All of our clients are busy professionals. They've got their family, their careers, their personal life. Uh, they just want to delegate this to someone who knows that is on there's that's looking out for their best interests and making sure their portfolios are well diversified. Uh, that that's the main reason why clients engage us. Well, I think that that's an awesome segue right there. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the habits of highly performing people, and we'll just stick with physicians and all, also nurses. They're obviously extremely hardworking, well-educated people. So in order to become a physician, you obviously have to do a ton of schooling and it's grueling and, and the demands and you, you, you have to wake up and perform at 100% every day. Um, so you mentioned that, that they perceive and receive value in delegating and making sure that the professionals that they're working with are acting in their best interest and doing a good job for them. And I think that that's advice that anybody can certainly take. Um, Do you want to expound on that a little bit or are there other characteristics of physicians that you think people could learn from? Sure. So that that is a great segue. We are, we didn't mention this earlier, but we are a fee-only financial advisory firm. Uh, We act in a fiduciary capacity, meaning by law we have to always act in our client's best interest. And the business model that we have is what's called a registered investment advisor. Registered investment advisors are by nature uh, fiduciaries. And the financial plan, I'm I'm gonna back up a little bit and I'll circle back to your question in a a second. The financial planning industry as a whole and the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner, is really in its infancy. Uh, It's in the past maybe, excuse me, 20 years or so. Before, people would work for a company for their entire career practically. They wouldn't change around jobs so much. The 401k was not as prevalent as it is today. People had pensions and they lived off their Social Security. But as we have moved over to more of an ownership society where people do rely, rely have to 
do have to rely on their own savings and their own 401ks and their IRAs, then the need for financial planning, the need for independent financial planning has grown. And unfortunately, there are a lot of firms out there that sell products and they, they steer clients in the wrong direction or they put them into things that are not appropriate for the clients. <clears throat> the way we operate is the equivalent would be like a fee for service in the medical industry. The clients come to us, they pay us a fee, we provide them independent advice, they don't feel that we're pushing them any products, we're not beholden to any investment, we're not beholden to any type of uh, company, so that way our clients know that we're figuratively speaking on the same side of the table as they are, and working with them to help them come up with the best strategy for them. I think that that's a, an excellent point, talking about how the industry has certainly changed away from uh, pensions to now everybody's responsible for saving their own money, and then uh, the importance of having professional um, advisors who are fiduciaries to their clients and acting in their best interest. I think that those are those are extremely important things that everybody should be taking into consideration. Um, have you found that physicians, that folks in the medical industry have other habits um, or tendencies that, that people can benefit from as well? Um, I would say the, the grit and determination to achieve where they have, um, you know, what they've done. So whether if it's a, a surgeon or a, um, an internist or a family practice medicine, as you mentioned earlier, these individuals have gone through, uh, you know, medical school, residency, uh, fellowship. So many, many years of not only delayed gratification, but training to get to where they've come. And I think those principles, if some if some young individuals can instill among themselves, could be really beneficial for them because what happens is um, many young people just starting out want that instant gratification. They want to buy that 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 great car. They want to buy that that first huge house, or um, or just want to start spending their money. But if they can learn to start saving at an early age and start uh, looking into the future, recognizing that they're building a foundation right now that they're going to use later on it's going to pay them huge dividends just as a physician who recognizes that, yeah, they might not really start their careers into their early 30s, but that that time they've put in in their 20s when all their other friends are out playing and doing all the fun things, they're going to reap benefits for later. Well, I think that that is great advice for sure. And we live in a time when it's it's fear of missing out and it's you only live once. And I, I, I think that that's great. But delaying gratification, especially in terms of compound interest and saving money, is probably one of the most powerful things that people have access to. So that's great advice. Right. And I'm not suggesting people live on rice and beans. I'm saying that <laughs> you, you have your fun, but you – I, I try to aim for 20, at least 20% of your gross income to start saving. That's a good starting point. And if you can't save 20%, then look at for other places where you can start cutting back. But if you're doing 20%, I think you're at a good starting point. And then everything else, you should not feel guilty about spending. Got it. That's that's a solid rule of thumb right there. So why do people come up short of that? Well, uh, that is a great question. I really wish I, I knew the, the answer to that because more than half the time we meet with potential clients. Obviously, these are not individuals that are that are a good fit for us, and they make excellent money, excellent, excellent money. It doesn't matter if they live in a in a uh, large metropolitan area like Los Angeles or anywhere in the country. 
but they overspend so much that they not only have no savings, but they also have credit card debt. And for me, I, it, it's that's such a hard. It's hard to understand that because that that uh, behavior is so hardwired into these individuals that I think it's hard for them to reverse. I think it's hard for them to not spend as much. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And you mentioned that those aren't necessarily a good client fit, and that's because it's behaviors that they're either unwilling to change or that's probably it. They're sort of stuck in the track. Right. And I, you know, I learned this early on kind of the hard way. So when I started my, my practice in 2009, uh, you know, my same objective as it is, as it continues to be now was to really help people to, to make sure that they're on the right path, that they meet their financial goals and they do it in a prudent manner. And in the beginning, I, I really thought that I could, uh, take someone who had these bad habits, these bad savings habits and to and to change them. So I started working, I have at least 10 examples of this, but I'll give you one example of a young woman who was making excellent money in her mid 20s, and uh, but she had a lot of credit card debt. So I said, I'm gonna help you come up with a strategy to help pay off your credit card debt. Um, I don't do this anymore, but I told her if there's any expenditure over $100, I want you to pre-clear it with me, so that way you don't get into the same uh, um, cycle that you did before. So it was about two months. She was she was on track, and then she she told me that she'd bought a new BMW, and that's when <laughs> I said, that's when I said, this is this is not working. You everything I just told you, you've completely regressed at least ten years by uh, by taking on that that large asset or that large debt, and I realized that it's it's just not. It's very hard to guide these individuals like that in the right direction because. I don't feel that they're they're willing to uh, uh, to be guided and they're willing to uh, to stop uh, uh, spending. And like I said, that's just one example. That I've got many, many, many examples of individuals like that. Where because when I see that initially, I just re, uh, retract and I'll say, I, "This is not a good situation for us." Uh, if you want, I can refer you to someone else. But um, you know, we don't we don't work on day to day budgets for clients. Got it. We're not going to be a good fit for one another. The first right. question you probably ask was, wow, I didn't know you could buy a BMW for, for, for less than $100. It's amazing how you didn't call me. <laughs> That's a great question. I should have said that, yeah. <laughs> but I digress. Um, well, all right. Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? I have one tip. I don't know where this quote came from, but I love it. I tell my kids. I tell everybody that I um, uh, that I speak to. Count your pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. If you think about that quote, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a really important message for anybody, regardless of what stage they are in their career and what profession they're in. Oh, I love it. That is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So I appreciate that. Well, all right. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? They can go to our website at ACAP. AM.com. That's Apple, Cat, Apple, Peter, Apple, Mary.com. And they will find all of our social media handles on their website as well. And uh, they'll also learn about our, our tax services too. So um, that's where they'll find us. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show our your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to his website, find him on social media, which I will list in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Ara. Thank you again, George. I appreciate being on the show. And until next time, 
keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!